Our passage this morning in Matthew addresses the matter of two blind men. How blind is blind? I think of two individuals that I knew and know in my life. One, a young lady who was declared legally blind and was quite a rascal growing up. In some ways, I think she milked her legal blindness for all she could get. But at any rate, she was able to graduate from a college and now is very successful in selling and overseeing the installation of prostheses. Another fellow who marvelously and I fearfully watched who was declared legally blind often go down Route 18 in Beaver Falls down that steep hill with traffic coming up and he's legally blind. I'm scratching my head saying, how can you be legally blind and do that? It makes me think of the unsaved. They see and they do and often they're very, very, very productive and upstanding citizens. But the blindness that Jesus is being confronted with by these two men there on that road from Jericho to Jerusalem, these men are blind, like when you're in, for me, the Indian caverns, and you go down with your tour guide into the belly of the caverns, and what do they do? Turn off the light, and you do this, and you know your hand is there. It's your hand, but you can't see it. Blind. Completely unable to discern anything, even your own hand in front of your face. And we know people like that who are Christians and they live in their physical blindness. Humanity, legally blind in the sense that they do many marvelous things, are nevertheless blind when it comes to the things of the Lord as when we're in the Indian caverns with our hand right here and we can't see it. The eternal power and Godhead are revealed to humanity and they suppress that truth in unrighteousness. Matthew now has us being in, instructed 
by this event in Jesus' life, an event in Jesus' life that, that takes place just after he speaks about those who are great must be servants, and just before he's about to enter Jerusalem and be hailed, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. But knowing that, it's the cross. It's the cross to which he is going to go. I don't know if we can really appreciate Jesus in this moment. Just think of yourselves in the daily routines of your life. When there's something exceedingly heavy on your heart that you know you have to perform... And you're working at getting the courage, you're working at getting the strength, you're working at getting the resolve to do that. How do you like being interrupted? How do you like being interrupted? Matthew chapter 20 beginning with verse 29 and reading through the end of the chapter. The Holy Spirit's word through Matthew. Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. And the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still. And called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Let's pray. Lord God, open our eyes. By your Spirit's work in our hearts. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. As we look at, at this passage, we, we see that there are obviously three 
major characters, of course, Jesus being the supreme character. We find in this pericope multitudes of people. We find in this passage these two blind men. And we find in this passage Jesus. Let's think momentarily about the multitudes. We read in our passage that Jesus is coming out of Jericho. And if we were to look at at Mark's gospel, we would see, yes, he was coming out of Jericho. But if we were to look at Luke's gospel, we'd say he's coming near Jericho in order, in order to perhaps be going into Jericho. And some people say, well, here, look, there's a problem. There were two Jerichos. There was the old Jericho, the one that was destroyed, and there was the new Jericho that uh, Herod built, and it was a glorious place. And and Jesus is coming through the Galilean ministry, and he's coming now from Jericho, those 16 or 15 miles into Jerusalem. And it's, it's perhaps that he's coming out of old Jericho, and he's going into new Jericho, that indeed as he's coming out of Jericho, there are these two men. And of course, one says Bartimaeus is the blind man, and another says uh, there, there's a blind man. not a contradiction. Two men, Bartimaeus is the one that's named. I could be standing somewhere with another person and they might say, Harry is on the road. Doesn't mean I'm not there. But they pick Harry and name Harry. At any rate, we have two blind men and we have this, these these multitudes of people. And why would these multitudes of people be with Jesus? Well, there are a couple of reasons. One would be that what's going to happen in Jerusalem? There's going to be a Passover celebration. And what would faithful Jews be doing in light of, a fa- of, of the Passover being celebrated? They would be making their way to Jerusalem. And on this occasion, they're making their way to Jerusalem with Jesus. And and what about Jesus? What might they be thinking of him? They've seen his miracles. Son of David? David. Remember, David's throne was to be perpetual. Remember, David was to be the one who was going to rule over Israel and and the covenant people of God. And where were the covenant people of God now? They weren't in Israel. They weren't being ruled by David. Here comes the son of David, and he's heading into Jerusalem. Hosanna, we're going to hear them cry. Here's the one who's going to liberate us. Here's the one who's going to... Conquer the Romans so that we can now have what God promised our father, David. Son of David heals people. Son of David, he could very well be the one 
who's going to truly set us free from this physical oppression that we're living under. And so when the two blind men cry out, what do they say? Stop it! Jesus has no need of blind men. What good would blind men be in an army going over to overthrow Rome? What good would you... In fact, how are you going to walk with us if you can't see? Be quiet. Don't disturb our Jesus. The multitude. In this case, the multitudes are seeking to be faithful religiously. But they don't have time for the disabled. And it makes me wonder why in years past when church buildings were built, they weren't level with the ground. You went up a multitude of stairs, steps to get in. What were we thinking? Were we really thinking that that the disabled would come? When I was in Sterling, Kansas, a 19-year-old covenant child, communicant member in gym class at college, broke his neck and became a quadriplegic. There were at least 15 to 20 steps up into the auditorium where you would have to go to worship. The men of the congregation built a platform at the bottom of the stairs onto which that wheelchair would be able to go and then he would be able to push a button and a pulley would lift that right up the stairs so that he could get into the auditorium. They weren't like this multitude. You're blind. Jesus doesn't need you. You're a quad. Jesus doesn't need you. have every reason to stay home and not be at worship. You're a quad. No, they wanted their brother to be there as part of the worship. Now let's consider these two blind men. They hear the crowd, they want to know what's going on, and they find out that Jesus is with the multitudes. Jesus. Have mercy on us, O Lord, 
son of David. Have pity on us. Have compassion on us. Care for us. Maybe the last opportunity they'll ever have to cry out to Jesus for help. There they are in their normal posture on the side of the road, begging, we're told by the other gospel writer. We think of, of what it's like driving to a stop light, traffic light, and there are people with signs. We know the picture. We know the scene. We know what it's like to see people begging. And Jesus has his heart set on the cross, but what does he do? Well, we'll get to that. Have mercy. And then they use the word curia. Curios. The Greek word for Lord. Master. Sir. But you see, that word is, is ripe with meaning if you understand the Old Testament. You remember when Moses was at that bush that was burning but not consumed and the Lord God comes to him and speaks to him and says, I am. Three Hebrew letters. He, wa, he. The, Greek, the Hebrew people would not try to pronounce he, wa, they wouldn't do that. Instead of that, they would say, Adon. Adon in Hebrew is, Sir, Lord, Master. My Lord, David says. So, Adon in Hebrew is used to speak of the covenant keeping God or it's used of a Lord, a master, a sir. When the Greeks translated the Old Testament into Greek, they used curious. So what do these blind men understand when they say, O Lord, do they understand he is indeed God incarnate? Some say Jehovah, some say Yahweh. Do they have that much of an understanding? We don't know. They could. But if they don't understand him to be the covenant God incarnate, they certainly understand him to be Master, Sir, Lord. He's not seen primarily in that as a servant, but as a master, as a Lord. And they're going to say to this, Lord, have mercy, be compassionate. But then they say, Son of David. 
That's how Matthew begins his gospel, isn't it? The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. The son of Abraham. And so if he's the son of Abraham, the son of David, there may be a connection with Yahweh, Lord, Adonai, Adon. But son of David, the Messiah, the one who is promised to come to bring deliverance. Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. And of course the prayer is that all of us at some point in our lives have come to realize that we needed to cry out, have mercy on me. O Lord, Son of David. In other words, we, each and every one of us, at some point in our lives, have to come to some grips with, we can identify ourselves with these two blind men. We may be living our lives as legally blind when it comes to being able to make it, but we're blind when it comes to knowing Jesus. And so we came to that point, have mercy, O Lord, son of David. And now notice Jesus. The text tells us that he hears them. He stops in his tracks. And he addresses them. What would you have me to do for you? You're a blind beggar. What do you normally be, what are you normally asking for as a blind beggar? <laughs> Money. I'm a blind beggar. I need some money in order to sustain myself. What would you have me to do for you? What do they say? Open our eyes. And what does Jesus do? He has compassion. It's that same expression of, of his heart when he saw the multitudes. And he said, they're harassed. They're like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. And he said, pray, pray. Pray for laborers to go to those sheep. 
He had compassion in chapter 9 of, of Matthew on another set of blind men. And in his compassion, he restores their sight. Maybe these two heard that and knew that he could restore sight. He had compassion on the 5,000 and on the 4,000 men with their women and children. He's a Lord of compassion. And in his compassion, he asked them, what do you want me to do for you? And instead of asking for money, give us our eyes. We want to be able to see. And Jesus heals them so they're able to see. Just as I pray, he has healed each and every one of us here of our spiritual blindness so that we're no longer living as legally blind, doing the multitudes of things that we're able to do very well and carefully so as to sustain ourselves. Oh, by the way, the guy that rode his bike down that hill who was legally blind has a phenomenal business in which he's able to send his children to a Christian school. <laughs> but he does so because he can see Jesus and serve Jesus. Unlike that young lady I talked about who doesn't want to serve Jesus and doesn't see why she has to. But what do they do? Jesus restores their sight and they follow him. Give us 2020 vision. <laughs> to follow Jesus. That's what this is all about, isn't it? Jesus <clears throat> making disciples of the nations. Jesus calling people into service of him. They Got it. Let's follow this Jesus and see where he takes us. We don't know everything that was going on in their hearts and their minds and all that was happening in their lives, but they were now with the multitudes following Jesus. At the end of the day, Trust that's our daily prayer. Open my eyes so that I may follow you, Lord Jesus. Every day, 
but by God's grace, he enables us to open our eyes. Whether we're blind or not, he opens our eyes. If we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And his word says, this is the way to walk, walk in it. Whether we have physical sight or not, we are able by the grace of God to walk in that narrow path that leads to everlasting life. And that's what we want to have happen every day that we wake up. May my eyes be opened so as to follow you, O Lord, Son of David, Messiah, God incarnate who gave yourself within two weeks so that we would have life and have it eternally open our eyes. And it's with those eyes opened by the grace of God that one of the things that Jesus did as he entered into Jerusalem was to establish the Lord's Supper washes the feet of his disciples and serves them the supper. This is my body, this is my blood. We often say my body broken for you and we understand that not a bone of his body was broken because he couldn't be a sacrifice acceptable to God if any bone of his body was broken. And so his broken body, well, his body given, body given, for our salvation, broken in the sense that he was certainly crushed by the wrath of God, his Father, that wrath that we deserved. And he shed his blood that our sins would be forgiven. And so he gives to the church, to the elders of the church, the responsibility of these sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and and it's our responsibility to be sure by God's grace that when someone says, I want to be baptized, they have a credible profession of faith or they're not going to be baptized, right? And the same thing holds true for the Lord's Supper. It's a credible profession of faith. Yes, indeed, our children are baptized because our parents have a credible profession of faith. So the session is responsible to hear the confession of faith. And therefore, those who are communicant members here have done that in the suppers here. Those who have done that in Napark congregations, the suppers here. Those who have done that and are baptized and members of a true branch of Christ's church, the session asks that you meet with us before you take the Lord's Supper. Because we want to be sure that we're not distributing these elements in an irresponsible way. Because we will give an account as the shepherds of God's people for our administration of the means of grace. And so <clears throat> as we come to this table, as the elements are distributed, those of you who are indeed in good standing with Christ, come, take.
we do that, let's turn to Psalm 116, the B selection. <clears throat> 